Well, good morning. How is everybody today? Good? Okay. Well, good. I want to give you guys, before we jump into our message, two things really quick. All right, I want to give you an update on Josh. Seems like this is the weekly update on Josh because it's been, I think, four weeks now that it, and since he's been here uh, delivering the message on a Sunday. I know he very much misses being here. So just so you know that, it's true. Um, but he's very grateful for the opportunities that he's been afforded recently to be traveling and be doing things. Um, this morning he's at Hope Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Okay, so he, you know, is two hours ahead, so he's already probably preached a, a time or two. But he, a group of us were there this past week. I think there's like 33, maybe 34 uh, of us at a conference at, at Hope Church. Uh, really, a, a conference about biblical wisdom. So gaining wisdom, getting training. Um, and Josh stayed there after the conference ended in order to speak this morning at the church. And that's because Hope Church is somewhat of a grandmother church, if you will, to us. So about 30 years ago, Hope Church was a, a big part of training and sending out Randy Lanthrop, uh, who planted a church in Diamond Bar, California, a church in the valley. And then maybe 15, 18 years later, Josh, our senior pastor, Josh De La Rosa, became a part of Church in the Valley and received the training. And then sending out about nine years ago, CIV sent out Josh with a team of their own congregation to start our church. And so uh, there's a really neat just connection of, of mentor-mentee relationships and the investment from Hope Church and from CIV. It hasn't just been cut off. There's, it's, a, it's just such a blessing that we have received so much from these two churches. And so Josh is there this morning updating Hope Church on what's going on here in Riverside at OCC in, in, a, in an attempt to honor them and to thank them uh, for their investment in the past and, and still currently. So uh, he's there this morning, so pray for him. I think he's got another service still ahead of him. Uh, so pray for him and that he is able to, to just really honor them and, and to really uh, show all the great things that, that God has done uh, through the efforts of, of men uh, who have trained other men and congregations that have just been built um, on that foundation. So uh, that, that was the first thing, okay? We're almost to the message. The second thing, I just want to acknowledge before we dive in this morning that this is an important week in our country. It's voting time. You know, we vote every year, sometimes more than once a year, but every four years we choose, you know, the top leader. And, and then there's so many propositions and things that we have to, to kind of wade through. Things that really impact daily life in our own lives, families' lives. And so I want to give you an encouragement and I want to give you a reassurance. Okay, so the encouragement is this. Go vote. I want to encourage you to go vote. We have the privilege and, and actually the duty to do that. So if you haven't, maybe you've mailed in and you already voted or whatever. But if you haven't yet, really be in prayer, asking God to guide you as you consider all of these things, there's a lot of confusing things. I've read through some of it already. Um, but just be in prayer. Ask God to guide you. Uh, choosing leaderships, choosing propositions to vote uh, for. So that's my encouragement. My, my reassurance to you is come middle of next of this week, November 9th, or whenever all the, uh, you know, the dust settles and the, the votes are counted, come middle of next week, regardless of who wins or which proposition passes or fails, God is still in control. And we know that, but, but let me reassure you, um, he's worthy of our trust. He's not going to be surprised or caught off guard by the results of this election here in our part of the world. Um, our concerns now 
about the election. Maybe our concerns after the, the elections are done. It's really not a reason or an excuse that we have to disengage. God doesn't want us to pull out um, or disengage. He's in control. And so we look to him. Um, we trust him. We seek him for guidance as we vote. We do our part by voting. And we pray for our leaders and and like we sang this morning, I was so thankful for the songs and just the time of worship. Um, our hope isn't here. You know, it, we can sing it as well with our soul because of the hope we have in God and His trustworthiness. And um, His name is the light in the, in the darkness. And so that's, that's the foundation that we stand on and we have hope in. And so I want to pray uh, just for, for this week in our country, but also for our message today. So join me in praying again. Father, we just acknowledge, God, that you are good. Um, Actually, you are so many things above us. You are all-knowing, all-powerful. You're just in control. Yet, God, you also love us. And and the more we learn about you, the more amazing you are. And God, I just ask that as we head into this week, um, in voting time and decision time in our state and country, God, would you just guide us as we make decisions on voting and God, we know that you're in control, but we really do. We place our hope and our trust in you as we move forward into this process. God, I also pray that you would help us today to hear from you. Give us a bigger picture of who you are and and what you've done for us, God, by designing church community. Uh, give us hearts to, to, to really hear and respond to you today. I, and I pray against any distractions that may come up in our own Hearts and minds in the room, God, just, I pray you would just block distractions, allow us to hear from you and focus on you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So we're in the fourth week of the series Hometown, and what we're doing is looking at how the church is kind of like a hometown community. You know, the feelings you get when you, you remember your hometown, especially if you're from a small town, or we see it on movies and TV shows. But we're really kind of taking that idea and showing how God has designed the church to, to kind of meet a lot of our needs. You see, we have needs like a, we have a built-in desire to belong somewhere. Right? Where everybody knows your name. That's the song of, is it Cheers, I think? Everybody knows your name. Where you're accepted for who you are. You can be comfortable. You can let your guard down. We all have this desire. And actually, we all have a desire to work together for the good. And to just do life with one another. Raising kids. Going through the ups and downs. So we have this built-in, we have all of these built-in desires and needs. And God has actually designed the church to meet these needs. So that's what we've been doing week by week, looking at God's goal for our community as a church. Alright, so if you're here today, kind of just checking it out, you're exploring Christianity maybe, or you're exploring, you know, our church or the Christian church at large, um, then this is a really great chance to get a glimpse, to hear from God's Word actually, and get a glimpse of what biblical community is like, how He designed it. So I invite you to keep exploring. Uh, we're really glad that you're here, and I and just... Take a look and investigate this. And if you've been around for a while, maybe you're a member or you've been around for a long time, I think and my, I hope, I pray that this message should help you identify ways to continue contributing and to join with the mission and move the mission even further ahead as we join together as, as a church community. So we're going to look this week at heroes, hometown heroes. And actually we're going to look at how heroes and leaders in various communities impact the mindset of the people. Okay, heroes and leaders can set priorities for the people and they can show possibilities. 
So they can reveal what's important and they can reveal what's possible. When uh, Where you're from can actually, so think of your hometown, where you're from can have an impact, pretty big impact on your life in these two things, what you think is important and, and what you might be able to aspire to. So maybe you've been on a road trip. I, I've been on a road trip with uh, as a kid and, and just... I guess I just went on a road trip last week, but but you take road trips and you and you kind of pass through states and you notice something. Um, so I, some one of our road trips was all along the southern states. My family as a kid, the southern states. Our goal was to drive to Washington D.C., but we got in a fender bender in New Orleans, and so we had to get the car fixed, rented a car, and they wouldn't let us go all the way to D.C. So we made it to Florida. All right, so our road trip ended up to Florida, but we went all along the southern states. Another road trip, we went to Missouri. Another one to uh, Mount Rushmore. So as I reflected, it's like, man, we did some road trips when I was growing up. My parents are here today, so thanks for the road trips. That was great. Um, and, and so maybe you've been on a road trip, and you notice as you go through different towns, different cities, uh, you see welcome signs to the cities, right? Welcome to whatever, small town USA. And, and a lot of times, if they can, they put the name of a famous person, someone who they're proud Grew up here, right? So I have a couple of signs here. So you can often see entertainers on city welcome signs. So here's one for Blake Shelton. So this is a, I think it's Ada. I don't know how to say at. It's Ada sounds more right. Oklahoma. Ada. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Ada, Oklahoma, home of Blake Shelton. You know, he's a big deal. He's, they've even got the logo right, I think, on his name. Here's another one. Honoring a country singer, Tate Stevens, from Belton, Texas. All right? He didn't get the sign. He got the water tower. All right? So this is, that's a prominent, look how big those letters are. I realize that compared to those guys. So kids who grew up in these cities, in these towns, Ada and Belton, they grew up thinking, hey, being, I, maybe I could be a famous entertainer. Or being an entertainer, being a country star, that's like really valuable. That's what might get my name on the, the water tower. Maybe on the other side, it could be my name. Here's another one. Here's a city, Johnson City, Texas, home of Lyndon B. Johnson, uh, a former president of the United States. You know, that's a big deal. So if you grew up in Johnson City, you're thinking, hey, maybe I could be president. Um, or if I am, if I'm somebody, if I'm a political, you know, well-known political figure, maybe they'll put my name right next to LBJ there on the sign. Maybe they'll name the, the town after me now, uh, now that I'm the new guy. But anyway, here, here's some more athletes. So here's a, a sign from Gibsonville. I actually don't know what state this is, but you see below they have some room to you know add people. You see Kay Yao and Terry Holt. I don't know who they are. Maybe you can read that. But these are athletes. And, and you and I don't know these people, but I guarantee you everybody in, in Gibsonville knows who they are and what they did. They know where, which high school they went to, maybe which chair they sat in in English class and tried to get that chair. But these are heroes. Um, here's another example, a highway sign honoring a fallen military hero. You know, that makes a statement. We honor our, our heroes who have sacrificed for our country, and, and so your name is on a sign. And this last one is just for fun. This town of Rennie. So it says, Welcome to Rennie, home of, some, of something or somebody famous someday, maybe. You know, so if you grow up here, you're really not sure what your future is going to be like. But you don't know where you're from or, or what your aspirations are. But, but just think about the town you grew up in. Maybe it wasn't like a sign on the, on the welcome, you know, city sign. But maybe you had heroes leaders over you that you really looked up to. And so what we're saying is that when we hold up signs... 
and we, we, we create heroes, what that does is that shapes what's important in, in our minds. It's the same in the church. When we hold up people as heroes and leaders, um, what we say about them, out, you know, as we talk amongst ourselves, that really shapes what's important in our community in a really powerful way. So the leaders of any community or, or any organization really set priorities and reveal possibilities in their own lives and then give a picture of that for their followers. So the Bible has really clear directions on, on leaders as well as followers. And there's careful instructions about how do we choose leaders in our group. Because of the impact that a leader can have on a group, the Bible it, you know, it really gives a lot of description on how we do this. How do we go about creating heroes, naming leaders? And the fact is, you can follow on your listening guide here, the fact is our leaders shape the values of the church community. Our leaders shape these values. There was, in the first century, a church starter named Paul. And he went throughout the whole Roman Empire starting churches and, and then staying there for a short time, maybe a longer time. And then he'd move on. Uh, so, so his job was to keep going. But what he did was he would make sure before he left there were certain le- leaders, leaders of a certain kind in, in place before he left. And so we see this in his instruction. He trained up people to do the same thing he was doing. So we see this in his instruction to, to one of his protégés, Titus. So look in Titus 1.5. Paul writes, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Paul is saying to Titus, this is important to do. Make sure the leaders are set up. Um, otherwise, things might fall apart. It might go the wrong way, get off track. Here, here's another uh, passage in Hebrews. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Again, we see the leaders are, are a big deal. In fact, you might be asking, aren't we supposed to like imitate Jesus Christ? Just me and Jesus. I'm going to be like Him. And of course, yes, we are. But nowadays, we, we don't have Jesus you know, sitting in the front row. We can't touch Him and, and give Him a hug. And, and fo- literally, we can't follow Him. So what, what God has done is He's designed the church community to have leaders that you can imitate. Paul, the church planner I referenced, he, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So that's a help to us as followers to imitate people we can see the outcome of their lives. They're in the jobs that we're in. They're in the city that we're in. They, uh, they pay taxes the way we do. And we can imitate our leaders as they imitate Jesus Christ. So leaders are really important. The church is filled with people who are in all different places, spiritually speaking, in their walk with the Lord. They're in different places. Some are like babies, spiritual babies. In Hebrews 12, we, you know, the, the writer talks about some are, some are only ready for spiritual milk. Um, some are ready for the T-bone steak, right? So he says the, the mature are ready for solid food. But we see this idea. Some people, spiritually speaking, are younger. Some are maybe in their teen years. And some are older and more mature. And so God wants the church to be a place where everyone can belong and is accepted, but is moving forward, is changing and maturing to be more like Christ. So here's just a quick, a little bit of a side note. How do we change? How do people change? And the answer is, in order to change, we have to have the freedom not to change. Alright? So bear with me for a minute. External motivation only goes so far. It won't change what's going on on the inside, right? So like, have you ever had a dog that barked all the time? So you put the bark shock collar on? 
I know you wouldn't do that, but, but maybe you have. Maybe the, the shock collar and when they bark, it kind of zaps them. You know, so they'll conform when the collar's on. But what happens when you take it off? You know, in a short time, maybe eventually they start the, the bad behavior again. And so you and I are like this. We're like that. Lasting change only comes from inside, from convictions that we develop, not from the pressure from the outside. Because once, once the pressure is off, we'll go back to what we really think. Um, and so in church life, the leaders in a church, they set the example. They don't dictate, they don't put pressure, you know, cause, because that doesn't work. God looks at the heart. He's after a real lasting change. And so leaders need to set the example and, and be ahead and pull people along. So there's no manipulation, there's no force involved in this. Real, gro- real growth happens because people want to grow. Uh, I like this illustration of a church. Uh, Josh shared this with me. The church should be a lot more like a river than a lake, right? So a river is moving, it's flowing. There's a current to it. And in the church, we need to be creating a current and flowing towards the things that are important to God. So that's, that's the flow. Um, in a lake, it kind of just sits there, right? You can get your inner tube and your Diet Coke and just sit in the middle of the lake and observe. You're not really moving anywhere, right? So if you've ever been in a river or in just maybe at the ocean, just a really strong current, you know that it's very hard to stay in the same place. In fact, you feel kind of the tug, right? Uh, it's hard to stay in the same place, and that's a good thing. When we're talking about the church as a place where people grow, we want that current to be flowing towards being like Jesus and obeying his commands. So that's a good thing. So the heroes in the church, the leaders of the church, have a really important role in creating and modeling this, this flow. So here's a list of commands. In First Peter, we have a list of commands specifically to leaders. Okay, So we're going to spend some time right here in this passage and, and take a look at this. So we see here, I exhort, Peter writes, I exhort the elders among you, and then he identifies with them as a, as a fellow elder, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Okay, so he's saying to you leaders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, when Jesus appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So this passage gives us a glimpse into God's design for leaders, the heroes in the church. Uh, It's written to the highest level leaders. It's a picture of the assignment and the attitude and the approach. So we're going to unpack those three things. But really, this is a picture for leaders at all levels, um, something to imitate. So let's look at this. The leader's assignment. As a leader, what do you do? Well, in in verse 2 it says, exercise oversight. So a leader ought to exercise oversight. So that means a leader needs to have a position of looking at what's going on in the church, thinking it over, and really taking responsibility to lead and organize the group to accomplish the mission that it's set out on. Right? So in our world today, you know, we see this in groups. Groups unravel. Whether it's a work group, you know, maybe you've been a part of a work group that we had a goal and man, things just fell apart quickly. Or a study group in class. Or, um, 
Even a sports team, you know, we've seen sports teams unravel. We call that an upset. A team that's supposed to win, but they just unravel. We might see that today, who knows, NFL Sunday. So, you know, a sports team, they can unravel. So a good leader pays attention to this when this is happening. The response, then the good leader aims at the group at bringing it back to its purpose, fulfilling the purpose. And so they exercise oversight. The passage also shows what should be in the leader's attitude, right? So the leader's attitude should be willing and eager. Again, in that second part of verse 2, not under compulsion, but willingly. This means that the leader gladly bears the responsibility of leadership, doesn't look for excuses or blame, ways to pass off, but gladly bears the role and the responsibility. And maybe you've been in a leadership role and you can identify. There can really be some times as a leader that, that you could be frustrated with the group you're leading. Whether you're a parent or you teach a, a kid's own class or at work people report to you, you can probably identify that this is hard to do, to be willing and eager to lead because there's frustration. So like communication, for example. Have you ever said to your kids, if you're a parent, how many times do I have to tell you, right? Or And that's actually kind of similar in a, in, in a church leader. Um, Everyone needs to be on the same page, and so the leader feels like they say the same thing over and over to, to keep everybody together. That could be a source of frustration, but a leader with a willing heart and with patience realizes, in grace, they realize these people don't think about this stuff as much as I do. You know, so don't be patient, be willing and eager to bring people up to speed. Peter also tells us about the, the attitude. The leader must be not for shameful gain, uh, but eagerly, again, in verse 2. So if a leader has a selfish heart, you know, you can get frustrated, but you can also just be coming out of uh, selfishness. It's in our heart. It's actually bound up in our heart as a child, we, we know. But, but selfish, selfishness, when it's deep in us and we lead from that, it's going to show up for sure under pressure. Sure as, sure as you squeeze the toothpaste tube and toothpaste comes out. So it goes with leadership. When you get squeezed and are under pressure, your selfishness is going to come out. Um, it's kind of like this. Take a look at this photo. It's the Terminator, right? Inside, you know, it's kind of a, a scary dude. And under the fire, under the pressure, he's actually being revealed. Uh, what, what's, what's inside is becoming seen on the outside under pressure. So if a leader doesn't keep their, their heart in check and realize that this is a privilege that God has given me to lead, then he can really buckle under the pressure. It's easy to get overwhelmed by the pressure of leading in the church. So the, the pressure can come sometimes for leaders because I really want my people, I really want my group to understand and to get it. I really want them to change. But you've got to realize something about people. Is that if you're if you're leading a group, especially in in a spiritual sense, you cannot change anybody. God has not given you and I the ability to change people. Only God can do that. So Josh can't prepare so well that he delivers a message and everybody is just completely changed. Josh can't do that. A small group leader can't plan the perfect small group night and have the perfect you know icebreaker question and then the snacks are so great you know and all of the things are just aligned so that somebody changes that's not that's not their their responsibility they can't actually a kid zone leader or a ministry team whatever it is in church life a leader actually can't do that so what does a leader do they play a very important role as we're seeing 
But they can only do what they're responsible to do. And only God can do what He's able to do and change a person's heart. So don't get caught up in, you know, frustration or, or just if you're in a leadership position, don't get caught up in the people aren't changing. What you do is get a grip on your responsibilities as a leader and pray and ask God to, to use you to do that. And Peter says, remember the chief shepherd, this is that last part, who will reward wholehearted service. Jesus wants our whole heart you know, to be in this. And Jesus himself brings the reward. So that's the attitude. And lastly, the, the leader's approach. The approach is not domineering, but examples. Being, being an example. And that's in verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So leaders in the church, they don't use people, or they don't ask followers to do things that they themselves are not willing to do. I've heard it said simply like this. The leader goes first. If there's something to do, the leader goes first. You know, when, you, when we saw Braveheart, William Wallace rode first, you know. Uh, in whatever circumstance you're in, if you're leading, you go first. You don't ask people to do something that you're not willing to do. And if you lead like this in any arena, in fact, I meant to say this earlier, we're talking about what the Bible says about church leadership and in our community, but these principles of leadership and followership apply across the board in life because God created life. He's the author. He made, he made it work. And so when we do what he says, it's going to work. So even in your job, if you're a leader, if you lead these ways, people are going to want to follow you the direction that you'd like to take them. It's kind of like a wet spaghetti noodle. Maybe you've never played with one on the table, but you can imagine it's really easy to pull it along, right? But a wet spaghetti noodle, you can't push that thing effectively, right? It's more effective to, to pull it along. So if you lead like this, people are going to follow in the direction you're going. So we've looked kind of briefly at this and in the role of a leader. That passage in First Peter goes almost like without taking a breath into the role of a follower, so let's look briefly just at the role of a follower and how this thing can work in the church. So in any community, when people are working together to ensure, it requires working together to ensure cohesiveness and unity. And so it takes both parts. You know, there can't be an outstanding leader and then a group of followers that aren't doing their part. So let's look at that. Um, imagine this. You're on your way to church this morning and you just decide, you know what? I'm going to go a little faster here. This hill looks enticing and I, you know, my gas tank is full and you just take off as fast as you want. In fact, the other lane across on the other side looks a little more fun to drive in. So you go into the other lane, into oncoming traffic, you know, and if everybody kind of gets this itch to do the same thing, we're talking about mass chaos, right? Pile-ups and injuries and just a mess. So if people don't follow the laws within the city, none of us would be safe. Um, the city wouldn't be able to function if there wasn't a level of cooperation between the followers and the leaders. And, and there could just be this real cycle. Well, let me say this. If the leader as well isn't, isn't owning up to their responsibilities or they're corrupt, you know, people will lose their trust in the leaders. And now we have this cycle of poor leader, a poor follower, you know, just this cycle of chaos. And, and that is not what God designed. In the church cooperation is vital if we're going to be the community uh, that God designed us to be. So the Bible is clear. Here's your next point. That godly cooperation propels the church towards its mission. If we're going to be fully functioning and effective in the mission that God has given us, it's going to require some cooperation. And so, again, in that next breath, 
Peter writes in verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So there's an order here. Peter is telling those who are younger to be subject. Now, younger, because we're talking in a spiritual sense, this could mean younger by age or younger in, in spiritually speaking. So we talked about some, some of those who are younger in their faith. And so the idea is that those that are less spiritually mature follow the more spiritually mature, those who are appointed as leaders. And so uh, there, there's this idea that we really don't like, you know, American independence, you know, being subject is not an idea that we talk about all the time and we, and we like. But really what it is, it's just acknowledging that there's a structure here. There's a leader, there's an authority, and then there's one that's under leadership. The opposite of being subject or subordinate is just doing your own thing. I'm a, being a rebel, choosing independence. And so we, we see again in Hebrews, this idea, Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders. Submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls, as those who would have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, so that word obey and the word submit in, in First Peter, those both have the same kind of root word. In the Greek, it's, it's hupo, and then that's the prefix hupo, which means under. That's where we get our, our word hyper, like hyperextend, hyperallergenic, uh, or hypo, sorry, hypo, hypothermic, what's under, right? So the idea is under. I, I switched my prefixes. I'm sorry I confused you. But it's hypo. You know, so in both cases, it's submit your under authority. All right, so again, we, and, and there's implications. Being a good follower has implications on yourself and on the group if we're not functioning well. And so we read these verses and we're really blown away by how God gives a design and how different of a perspective that we naturally have. Right? So this is a challenge for us when we follow. It's easy to be frustrated at leaders if you're a follower. So take a look at some of these typical frustrations of a follower. And maybe, just identify maybe if, if you've felt this before when you've played a role of a follower. So the leader doesn't understand or care about me. This could be just a wave of like, you know, they don't understand. It can, it can be kind of crushing and really frustrating. So what we do with that first one, we take our frustration to God and recognize He cares for us deeply. We find our hope and our strength in God. Or maybe you're unclear of what your role or direction is. In that case, just communication. Just let your leader know in a way that's respectful um, that you're unclear. They'll help you. Or maybe this last one. You're, you lack, I, I'm lacking encouragement or feedback. I'd really love to get more and know. And, and again, God knows you, he knows your heart. He knows how hard you're working. And so just count on him. Trust in him that, that he will give you your, your reward. He will bless you for your hard work and getting a grip on your responsibilities as a follower. So there's frustrations following. There's frustrations as a leader. But what we see here is just a, a design that God has given us, especially as a church, to stay on mission and to help people grow. We've learned a lot. We've looked a lot at how community thrives when leaders and followers work together. But, but it's up to us to maintain this balance. It's up to us to ensure that we're cooperating and leading well and growing over the long haul. And so we see, lastly, in First Peter, going back to that First Peter passage, we see how this could be possible to maintain this balance, to maintain the right attitudes and, and all that. So look at First Peter 5. 
Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. Leaders and followers, he's talking to. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. So we see that humility is sort of the the key here to maintaining this balance, to leading well, lead out of humility, and follow out of humility. In fact, the, the verbiage, clothe yourself, it's just like you put your shirt on today, just like you got dressed today. Clothe yourself with humility. Intentionally put this on each and every day. Choose to follow well and to lead well. Because this is where true community is going to exist and be sustained over the long haul. When we sacrifice for one another, we do so in faith, knowing that God gives us the grace to do that. So just for a moment, imagine. um, If you need to close your eyes, close your eyes. But just imagine the kind of community that we could have here at our church if we had leaders just leading by example, going first, maintaining humility. And imagine, you know, followers that are trusting God, are looking to Him for significance and purpose and trusting that the reward for doing a good job and following comes from God, not the leader. And so, uh, we've mentioned there's a lot here and and maybe something has landed on you that you want to take a next step on. So I want to wrap up and encourage you to think through a possible next step related to our church community here. You may be leading and may be following. Probably you're doing both in different capacities. So so think about today. Identify where you might be frustrated. Maybe you're a leader and you have this frustration. Um, try to identify that. So maybe circle leading if that's you. Or maybe as a follower you've you realize, man, I've been really frustrated in being a good follower for any sort of reason. So think about that. And then the, the second step, deal with my frustration by. And this is for you to respond. Maybe you need to look back through that First Peter chapter 5 passage and see, is there anything here that's going to help me deal with my frustrations? And I would encourage you, be specific. If you've identified something, be really specific in how you can deal with your frustration. So I want to pray now as we close the message. Dear God, we thank you again that you have just put a, an intentional design to our, the church community that meets our needs. God, and we see that there's roles to play and that you work to grow us spiritually through being leaders. And you also grow us when we're being followers, God. We just thank you that, uh, that we can find significance when we play our roles really well. And when we band together, we're so much better. Division and uncooperation is going to slow us down, God. But we want to be about the things that are important to you. We want to stay on mission. God, so help us to do that as as we here at OCC, we try to, to accomplish your mission here in Riverside and beyond. Help us as we try to stay united, being, being humble with one another. God, we just thank you again for your love for us and your design for the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.